You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of South Hills Church in Corona, California. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at southhills.org forward slash corona. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. The title of my message today, if you are taking notes, and I really hope that you do, is Fingers in Your Ears. Fingers in Your Ears. Uh, the, earlier this week, I, uh, I was looking through a bunch of old family photos. I don't know if you've ever done this before where you, you, you kind of get this nostalgic thing that comes over you. And so I went back and we have all these years of family photos in this, in this cloud storage. And so I went back and looked at the first set of family photos that we did. We moved to California almost 10 years ago. And I was looking at them and they just, it kind of melted my heart a little bit. This is my, uh, this is, oh, this actually isn't even my family. No, I'm just kidding. What if that was true? I just stole it out of a magazine. Now this is, this is, uh, this is my kids, my family from when we first moved here. And on the, on the left here is Cohen and just so adorable. He had super long hair like that for a long time. And then he got lice and we had to shave his head and his mom cried because he was just, she was like, no, he looks like he's going to military school. Where's my baby? Right. And it was just such a cute stage. And then, um, next to him is of course his, his young brother, Zeke, and, uh, who is being choked out by his sister. Not much has changed. She still does that to him. And in this photo, it, he looks like a big baby. He was a big baby. He, was almost, he almost weighed as much as she did. And she was like three years older than him in this picture and still is because that's how aging works, just so you guys know. And then uh, on the right is Tegan there. And I look back and there's, there, there are things that I miss about this. One thing I do not miss that I was thinking about is something that Cohen actually used to do. And that is anytime we would tell him at this age that uh, you know anything he didn't want to hear, anything he didn't want to know, uh, he would stick his fingers in his ears and he would just start screaming nonsense at the top of his lungs, right? We would just be like, Cohen, um, it's time for bed. He'd be like, ah! Just start screaming so he wouldn't have to hear what we're gonna say. And of course, we just waited for him to stop and then just finish saying what we wanted to say. And then he figured that out. So then he was like, I'll just close my eyes and keep doing it. And then he's like, I know I'll run away from you. And so he would put his fingers in his ears and yell at the top of his lungs and close his eyes and just run away. And this is why he ran into a lot of things when he was a kid. This kid had so many knots on his face and he couldn't figure out why it was happening. It was like, I think the whole thing you're doing when you don't want to hear the thing that we're trying to tell you about like the fact that it's time to go to bed or the fact that like you, you have to share that toy with this new brother that just came into existence, right? With the fact that like you're going to have to finish all of those mashed up carrots that you don't want to eat because you'd rather have a donut, right? And, and he just kind of freaked out. And I don't miss that. I don't miss that stage, that part of that stage at all because it was obnoxious. And part of the reason why I bring this up to you today is I think, and I wonder if you've noticed this too, like when you look around, it almost seems like there are a lot of grown-ups who are essentially doing the same thing when they are faced with something that they don't want to hear now, right? Like maybe they're not literally, you know, putting their fingers in their ears and yelling at the top of their lungs. Although I would love to just see you try that, right? Just do that at work. Anytime somebody moves up a deadline, just like, ah! and just run away and just see what happens. And if you get fired, uh, that was JR's idea. So I don't want to get blamed for that. But I think like, even though people don't do it literally, I, I think a lot of people do this figuratively, right? 
And I know that if you brainstorm, you don't have to really try too hard. You could probably think of a lot of other people who do this, who just want to avoid things that they don't want to hear. And if they're sitting next to you, please don't nudge them or point to them, okay? It's gonna get weird on the way home. But here's what I want you to sort of wrestle with this morning. Like, what if you are one of these people? Like, what if you have a tendency just to sort of want to stick your fingers in your ears and just ignore things that you don't wanna hear? I remember when, uh, when I was in college, there was this, this like investigative news story that came out about this restaurant that I really liked to go eat at when I was in college. And it was about like supposedly multiple health code violations. And multiple people forwarded me this news story. I just deleted it. And people tried to show it to me. They tried to force me to see it. And I was just like, I don't wanna read it. I don't wanna see it. I don't wanna hear about it. I like that place, okay? And I've never personally gotten sick there, all right? That I know of. And I just wanna keep going there. Right, I sort of been a little suspicious, you know what I mean, that the, uh, the orange chicken was only $1.25 for like a portion that would feed a family of seven for three days. I should have been suspicious. There was something shady going on there. It was probably a front for a meth lab. I don't know to this day, because I never read that article. I just kept eating there for the next three years. That's probably why I have a weird growth on my back. Now that I think of it, it's, that's probably exactly where it came from. Like we, I, I think we do this with all sorts of things, right? We, we do this with, with brands that we like, with leaders that we like, with uh, certain preferences or policies or politics or ideologies, and I think even maybe certain theologies that we like. Sometimes I think we stop listening, not because what we're being told isn't true, but because we don't want it to be true. The truth is inconvenient. We don't want to have to face it. We don't want to have to swallow it. We don't want to have to adjust according to it. And so for a lot of us, we just sort of decide about certain things early on, what we think, and then we just stop listening to anything or anyone that might contradict it. And not only won't we listen to differing opinions, but now in our culture, we feel like we need to cut ties with anyone who has a differing opinion because you know, they're either stupid or evil, because obviously that is the only reason you wouldn't already agree with what I think, right? You were either stupid or the devil hired you, okay? Those are the only options. The apocalypse has been triggered because of what you think. And I think what ends up happening with a lot of us is that we end up existing in an echo chamber that reinforces everything we already think free from any people or perspectives that might stretch, challenge, or expand that thinking. And if you're like me, and I think maybe to a certain extent, maybe you are, what you like to think about these moments is that like it's, you know, it's just a display of the fact that you are, you know, a strong person sticking to your convictions. But what if, what if you're actually just a stubborn toddler sticking your fingers in your ears? What if you want to believe it comes off one way, but it really, it really comes off another? What if you are blind to what you're really doing? And, and, and what if avoiding hearing and considering anything that might contradict what you already think you know is preventing you from learning and growing 
and making wise decisions. Now, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying I think we should all read a story about Moses together and just think about it, okay? And so that's what we're gonna do. And this story is in the book of Numbers, which you have probably never like gone to before because you're like, I don't know, sounds like a lot of math. I don't, not interested, not really my thing. But there's a really good story in here that I think speaks to this subject matter. And I'm gonna just read uh, some excerpts from it and make some observations. It's in Numbers chapter 13, verse, starting in verse three, it says this. Um, actually, before I get into this, I wanna just give you a backstory. Uh, these people in this story, they have, they have exited slavery, right? And this is described in the books of, in the book of Exodus, right? They exited slavery and they had been slaves for a really long time, for generations, prayed for God to free them. He did. And they get out and there's this promise that God puts in front of them that I'm going to take you to this new place, this plot of land. And in a lot of ways, you are gonna be able to carve out a piece of paradise for yourself and your children and your children's children and all of that. Uh, you're gonna be able to grow your own crops and own your own land. You're gonna be able to worship your God um, without people looking over your shoulder. And of course, this is everything that they wanted. And they'd kind of gotten to the edge of this land that God had told them they were gonna take possession of. And they realized that there were people that are already occupying this land. So they're trying to figure out what the next step is, what to do. And that's what leads us to this story that we're about ready to read. So sorry, I, I teased it out. Now we're really gonna read it for real this time. And we're gonna put it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. It says that Moses, at this moment, he sent out 12 tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness. He gave them these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go, see what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? A lot of questions, right? And essentially, like Moses is telling them to pay attention to everything, every little thing, bring back a full report because he, he doesn't want random details devoid of context. He's asking them to do something that's really, really difficult for all of us to do. He's asking them to go into this place they've never been, to pay attention, to not jump to any conclusions, but just to collect information. Now, Moses probably already has an opinion, but he, he doesn't wanna make a decision until he feels like he has all the information. He's assuming that there is probably something, in fact, a lot of some things that he doesn't already know about what is up ahead. And this is wise. It's also really rare, right? Because we do not like admitting that there are things we don't know, especially to people that uh, are asking us for answers, Right? We, we hate doing that. I wonder if even in a casual conversation, somebody started talking about something and in the middle of the story, they mentioned some random detail and they're, they're like, you know what I'm talking about? And you did not know what they were talking about, but you pretended like you knew what they were talking about. You lied to them in that moment because you didn't want to seem stupid. And then it came back to bite you later because you did seem stupid. <laughs> they were like, man, you know, like we're... We were down in, in, in Orange County and it was really fun and I was just like, oh man, we should get a Shibza. And uh, you, you know what a Shibza is, right? And you're like, yeah, of course I know what a Shibza is. It is, they, it is they're delicious. And they're like, Shibza is a brand of pants. And you're like, yeah, I know. 
But have you ever tried it in a smoothie? Because a cotton berry blend is delicious. And guess what? You look stupid, right? You, you should have just admitted you didn't know, right? And, and some of us, we don't want to admit we don't know. Others of us, we assume that we know way more than we actually do. But here's the problem with this. Assuming you know everything about something is the best way to become disconnected from that thing. And why is this? Because people change, situations evolve, new information emerges, and individual perspectives are incomplete, including your own. When we make a decision about something early on and we're like, I know everything I will ever need to know about this situation, about this circumstance, right? About this policy, about this procedure, about this person. Those decisions that we make quickly become outdated because we've stopped listening and learning. I love there's this uh, bit of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 15. It says, intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. In other words, what it's saying is like, the smartest people you know are not arrogant know-it-alls. In fact, it's just the opposite. They're, they're the ones who are, are humble enough to seek additional input, even on subjects in which they're considered the expert. Because they believe that listening means embracing the possibility that there might be multiple truths that exist here, and they believe that understanding them all might lead to some other larger truth. And this is what seems to be going on in Moses's mind right here. He's like, I have an assumption. I am definitely the expert on this situation. I'm in charge, but you know what? I'm gonna send you out. I'm gonna get more information. I want you to go learn, and then you're gonna come back. I'm gonna listen to you, and I'm gonna learn what I don't yet know because of what you have to tell me. So they go out and we find out in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, that after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. This is where their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country. Can you just start saying that about places you like, right? Did you enjoy your time at their house? It was a bountiful household just makes me happy to think about somebody doing that. Please make my dreams come true this week. It says it is a land flowing with milk and honey, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. You guys know Anak, right? He's, he was a giant. That's why his descendants are giants. You guys will catch on. It says Caleb tried to quiet the people. Listen, let's go and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report among the people. The land we explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So they go. 
And they come back and all of these 12 people saw the same thing, but they had different interpretations of what they saw. In fact, two separate interpretations emerge and two people sort of see it this way and another 10 people see it this way. And both groups, uh, when they come back, are, are sort of presenting their case, their story, their perceptions. They're all talking over each other. No one's really listening to the, the other person, the other people. Definitely nobody is asking follow-up questions about like how they arrived at their conclusions. They're just restating their same perspective over and over again with more volume and aggression. This is the way that we have conversations about things we disagree on. Well, this is what I think. This is what I think. I didn't hear anything you just said, but I just say my part louder now. With more angry words about how you are stupid and evil. That doesn't really seem to go well here. Nobody's listening because nobody's really interested in anyone's point of view but their own. And, and here's the first question I want you to, to sort of wrestle with today. What intention do you bring with you into a conversation? Especially if it's a conversation about a subject that you feel particularly passionate about. It, 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 do you show up at that thing with like, man, how am I gonna convince and impress them? about what I know and what I think is right? Or do you come into that situation, that conversation with the mindset of what can I learn from them? Like what new unexpected information can I walk out with that I didn't walk in with? See, most of us, we, we definitely don't do that. We go in with an idea of what we think we go in with our case sort of pre-argued in the car on the way over. We go in with what we know we want to say. And again, the book of Proverbs has something to say about this way of being. It says this, Proverbs, again, chapter 18, verse 2. It says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Some of you are like, I definitely know some fools then, okay, because... Yeah, I know a lot. Don't nudge them if they're here, but like, I, you're like, I can think of exactly who you're talking about. And I got to tell you that you may know some of these people, but I wonder if maybe sometimes you are one of these people. Here's how you might diagnose yourself. Like, if, if what you are doing most of the time when the other person is talking is plotting like your counter argument, the one that you're gonna launch right into the second they take a breath, not when they finish, just when they're like, <gasps> and you're like, okay, and you're just diving right in. Like you're figuring it all out and you're mulling it over. I gotta tell you, if that's what you're doing, you are not listening. Whether you realize it or not, your actions, despite what you think is happening, your actions are aligned with someone who just wants to air their own opinions, not understand the other person's. And the reason why I think this is important to talk about, the reason why I think it's important to think about the intention you want to set going into a conversation, especially if you know it might be a tense conversation, is that research shows that the expectation you go in with alters the experience you come out with. That we tend to get what we expect out of situations. And I think sometimes when we go into a situation and we're just like, Here's what I'm expecting. They're an idiot. 
and I'm gonna tell them what is up. We tend to have that experience. When we go in with a different intention, we tend to come out with something different altogether. You see, listening, this is ultimately what it's about. It's about learning something new, not confirming what you think you already know. And we may hear that and just be like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. That's what I wanna, I wanna listen and learn. And it sounds so nice, but if we're honest, like most of us, we would rather go on incorrectly assuming we're right than having to dive into the discomfort of learning that we're wrong. And there are a couple ways that we, we actually allow ourselves to do this without even knowing that we're doing it. And maybe you've heard of some of these things before. I'm just gonna give you a couple examples of how your brain is trying to insulate you from ever having to admit that you are wrong about anything. The first thing is something called confirmation bias. Maybe you've heard of this, right? Confirmation bias is where you see what you expect to see, right? You have this expectation of like, this is what I'm gonna go in and find, and that's exactly what you find because that's what you expect to find. Then there's what's called desirability bias. And this is seeing what you want to see. And these are two different things because sometimes what you expect to see isn't necessarily something you want to see, right? Sometimes we go into a situation and you're like, I am expecting that the world is over, that uh, everything is doomed, that everything is horrible, that the end of the world is upon us, right? And then we see that. Sometimes, um, you know, what we want to see is something totally different. Sometimes we're just like, man, I want it to be this way, and so I don't want to entertain anything that won't affirm what I want. And then there's my favorite, which is what I would call the I'm not biased bias, okay? And this is where you incorrectly believe that you see everything clearly. You're like, man, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because a lot of people have biases, but not me. Because I see things pretty objectively, okay? I see things as they are, all right? I'm the only person who does, which is why I'm right about everything, okay? If you could just let my family know, that'd be really helpful. This isn't true for anybody. Like, we all have certain biases that we bring with us. In fact, like, our, our brain is trying to protect us from the pain of being wrong and having to change or rearrange our identity by leaning into these bias even when we're not trying to. And these 12 spies, they of course, just like the rest of us, they bring their own biases with them into their assignment, which means that Moses had, when they got back, a lot to carefully listen to and sort through. My favorite thing that that said is, is like the, the, how the 10, they come back and they sort of, they latch on to this, this negative fear-driven narrative. And the more they talk about it, the more exaggerated it becomes. I don't know if you noticed that. They start off by saying like, yeah, there's some good stuff, but, um, and you know, we saw some giants, you know, there. And, and then it, it, it graduates or it balloons into, in verse 32, the land we explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. Right, like extreme language. All the people we saw were huge. I thought you said you saw some giants. Now all the people were huge? That was literally just a sentence and a half ago. We saw giants there. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. And I imagine Moses, because he's so 
brilliant. I imagine him like stopping them and being like, wait, okay, hold on, <laughs> time out. You said you felt like grasshoppers and they thought of you that way too. How did you know what they thought? Did you ask them? Did you talk to them? No, we were spying. We didn't talk to nobody. So you're just assuming. So you don't actually know what they thought, but this is what you thought, and so you assumed that they thought the exact same thing that you thought. This is clearly how you feel. I wonder why you feel that way. I wonder if you feeling that way has more to do with you than it does with them. See, here's the thing. People are way more emotional than they are logical. And most of us don't want to admit this, like even to ourselves. And so we subconsciously search for facts to justify our feelings. A lot of us like to believe we start with facts and develop feelings about them. Most of us start with feelings and then we're like, okay, I gotta find some facts to support this, right? But we're not even aware that that's what we're doing. Because the reality of it is, the, the way that we act and react, it honestly, it says more about what we feel than it does about what we think. And here's the truth. If you really wanna understand what someone is saying, ask yourself, what is this person feeling? And why do they feel that way? And where did that feeling come from? Because what someone is saying is less significant than why they're saying it. So why are these 10 spies responding this way? What is it that they're feeling? They're afraid. And it's easy to judge them for being afraid, but when you begin to look at their backstory, it makes sense. Like they grew up in slavery. Like they were born as slaves. They were born into a world in which they were beaten and abused, in which they were lorded over by their captors, in which they were nervous and anxious every single day that something horrible was about to happen because something horrible happened almost every day. There was absolutely no safety, no security for these people. And, and yeah, now, okay, they, they live in a desert. They're technically free, but they're also miserable and hot and sweaty and hungry. But you know what? It's better than slavery. And they're thinking to themselves, like, I'm, I'm not going back to that. Sure, this, this land is lovely, and you know, I get it that God made us a promise, but I'm afraid, and it's, it's all I can think about. And because it's all they can think about, it's all that they can talk about, and because it's all that they can talk about, it's the message that begins to spread, and fear does what fear always do, does it, it, it becomes contagious, and it affects the entire community. We see this in, in Numbers Chapter 14, verse one, it says, then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Intense, right? 
And their voices rose with a great chorus of protest. And the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. And it's not like the, 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 the fun kind that just got made legal. This is the kind where they throw rocks at you until you stop breathing, okay? <laughs> just to clarify, no, we're in California. And this is crazy, right? Like when you read this, this is crazy. You got thousands of people freaking out based on the heavily biased opinions of just a couple people. So like nothing like today, which is a relief. We've evolved past this. And Joshua and Caleb, right, they're, they're trying to like expand everyone's limited perspective, but nobody's listening. Nobody is interested in taking in any new information. Like everyone's already decided what they think and their position is, listen, I am angry and I'm afraid and anyone who contradicts me is either stupid or evil. I thought we already covered this. And not only... Do they not want to listen to Joshua and Caleb? They want them dead because they believe they're dangerous. And I'd like to believe that this is just like some strange story from some ancient world, but it's not. In fact, according to this really interesting nationwide study of college students that was done very recently, 51% said they believe it's okay to shout insults at a speaker you disagree with while they're talking. This is the most astounding one. 19% believed using violence to shut up a speaker you disagree with is also acceptable. And you know what's crazy about this? These are not just stats because we saw this happen last year. And when we give in to fear and anger, we stop listening and learning. Why do we do this? Why are we still doing a thing that people have always done for a really long time? We can trace it all the way back to the beginning of people. I think it's because truly listening and learning is uncomfortable because we feel threatened by information that calls our identity into question. You have the same moment Everyone has the same moment that I have or had with this restaurant that I love. I didn't want to know any more about, anything different about. Like, I don't, want to, I don't want to hear what you have to say about that brand and about like their production practices and about the people who make that stuff and how they're treated. I don't want to think about that, okay? Because that, that company, that organization makes half the stuff in my closet. It's how people know me. It's how I dress. It's how I represent myself. It's who I am. So I don't want to know. I don't want to believe that that leader could be responsible for anything that could possibly be positive because I already decided I hate them. In fact, I didn't just decide I hated them. I told everyone on Facebook how much I hate them. So now, like I'm the person that hates them. I can't now be like, you know, they did that, that those things were actually pretty good. You know, I can't do that. I don't want to admit that like some of my preferences are maybe a little bit selfish and hurt other people because I just, I like the way my life is right now. I don't want to think about how the way I choose to live might affect how other people live because I don't want to do anything differently. I don't think about how like my ideology 
might be flawed because I've built my whole existence upon it. And so if part of it crumbles, who am I? And it is scary. That's why we freak out. That's why we fight back. That's why we shut down and stop listening. There's actually all this brain scan research now that shows that when like our deeply held beliefs are challenged, it sets off the same fear sensors as when a person is attacked by an angry bear. Now think about that for a minute. And like, that's believable to me because I definitely have had moments where I have just like, what I thought was like calmly questioned someone's conclusion and they snapped and their disproportionately angry response to me made me feel like I was about to get mauled. I was like, oh, that's, have you ever read this? I just be curious. Like, <laughs> whoa, whoa. You realize that there's a threat that they're sensing, even though you're not intending to put it out there. And I, and I get it, you know, hearing what you don't want to hear is painful at times, but that doesn't mean you don't need to hear it. It also doesn't mean you shouldn't believe in anything. You should. But the, but the reality of it is, we only become secure in our convictions by allowing them to be challenged, which means refusing to listen to those who think differently than you doesn't make you more intelligent than them. It makes you more insecure than them. You think that you are coming off as confident and with having conviction, but maybe, maybe you're just narrow-minded with your fingers in your ears. Because secure people don't get triggered by every single opinion that's different from their own. They don't deal with disagreements by spewing hate and vile all over the internet. They don't assume that every person who disagrees with them is stupid and evil because they have a stance that's different from their own. There's actually a, a great piece of advice that one of the first Christian pastors, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, that he gives to us in a letter to one of the first Christian churches. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. He says, test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. But here's the thing. You can't test something without first listening to and considering it. Also, I think that when we read this, we like to see it as a command to test the assumptions of other people. But what we don't want to see it as is a challenge to test even our own assumptions. I wonder if, if when he said test everything, I wonder if, if he means like, like everything, you know? Like even the things in your heart and mind. I wonder if those things need to be tested. I wonder if you need to question those things, the assumptions and decisions that you've made I wonder if those things are healthy for you to rethink or reconsider. I wonder if your own biases may have blinded you. In this story, I imagine Moses listening intently to all this information that's being presented to him and trying to you know, make a good God-honoring decision, which he ends up doing. 
he ends up going with the suggestion of the two spies, not the other 10 spies, which kind of seems a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because you're just like, listen, if you're just crunching the numbers in the book of Numbers, right, you'd think you would just go with, you know, make a choice according to the majority, right? Like statistically, that seems to make sense. But Moses isn't just listening to their conclusions. Like he, he's, he's dialed into how and why they came to those conclusions. Because the truth is, making wise decisions requires us to move beyond stats and engage the stories that shape them. And when Moses does this with the people bringing him their insight, he begins to push beyond just like what they've come up with, what they've done, what they think. And he begins to, to figure out why they think this and where it's coming from and what it's built on and how their story and their view of the world and God and their past experiences is contributing to their point of view He's able to move forward with wisdom. I've had the privilege of getting to, to pastor three different campuses here at South Hills. We have 13 now, which is incredible. And the first one that I, I pastored, I, I launched, I planted it, and we, it was called Venue 2, and we met in a bar. We met in a nightclub. And I'm a, a, a third-generation pastor, I grew up in a really conservative movement. And I, I remember like hearing, getting word that my grandpa, who was still an evangelist at the time, heard that I, like, I had started a church that was meeting in a functioning nightclub and he was having a real hard time with it. Because he grew up in like this time and place where like, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't play cards you didn't go to the movies. You never touched alcohol for any reason. I mean, like you only read the King James Bible. It was very strict, very conservative. The first Easter that we had services there, he was staying with my parents at the time and they were gonna come out and visit, which meant he was gonna come with them, which meant he was gonna have to spend Easter Sunday in a church, in a nightclub. And I could tell he was freaking out. But to his credit, he showed up early, prayed in the back of the venue that we hadn't cleaned up yet, which is not advisable at this venue. He sat through service. I could see him like as I was preaching, he was like looking around, taking everything in, like watching what was happening. Afterwards, he talked to a bunch of people. After that, we had lunch and he asked me a bunch of questions. He like, he, it was like he was grilling me. Like he just wanted to know like, like, like why I decided to do this thing and why I thought it was important and what impact it was having and like why I thought it was a big deal and why is this a good idea and what are the people's stories that are, that are coming to this place and how are they connecting with God? We got to the end of this long conversation and my grandpa sat back and he crossed his arms and I remember him saying like, hmm, it feels weird to me because I've always just sort of thought that that was wrong. But looking at the whole story, I don't know that I can say with a clear conscience that God is not in it. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, I'm glad I'm not too old to realize when I'm wrong. My grandpa was 75 at the time. I remember thinking about how profound that was, not just in our relationship, but 
But thinking about like, man, I hope, I hope I can always say that about my own life. I hope I can always say like, man, I am glad I am not too old to realize when I'm wrong. I hope that like I always, I always keep listening and learning. But I got to tell you, if that's something that you want to do, you're going to have to do what I watched my grandpa do his entire life. You're going to have to fight your biases every step of the way. You're going to have to shut up and listen. How? I want to give you a couple ideas on maybe how to do this. And the first thing I would tell you is this. Make it your goal when you're listening to them to echo their position back to them in your own words. This is going to require you to really pay attention to basically argue their point of view back to them in your own words. I make my kids do this sometimes. Like they're wanting to argue something. I'm like, okay, no, I hear you. I want to listen to you. What did I just say? I don't know. Okay, slow down, listen, and then I'm going to listen to you. Something powerful about it. We have to actually stop the dialogue in our own head and be present with the other person. Second thing I would say is like, find out why their position is so important to them and the emotional backstory behind it. Because again, people are way more emotional than they are logical. Uh, they, they probably didn't just arrive at a set of facts, right? There, there's something, there's a series of events that led up to this moment. It comes from somewhere. And if you can get to the bottom of why someone thinks and feels the way they do, if you can begin to, to access the feelings behind the facts they feel like they've collected, you get so much more insight into who they are, how they got that way. The third thing I would say is ask questions that enable you to imagine what it feels like to be them. Because it's really, really difficult to imagine what it feels like to be another person. And the longer we spend time with certain people, the more we assume we know what it feels like to be them, and you don't. You can never know the inside of somebody else's mind, even if you spend every day with them, even if you you share a room with them, a bed with them. It's just not possible. It's even truer with people that are far from you, have a totally different experience than you have, to begin to ask questions, to try and allow your mind to see the world through their eyes, their experiences, their upbringing. And the fourth thing is to don't dismiss their entire perspective because you disagree with their conclusion. And this is, I think, what we want to do. We're like, huh, I don't like that you landed here. Therefore, nothing you say is trustworthy. You were an idiot. (laughs) I can no longer ever speak to you, right? It's like, man, when we do this, we cut ourselves off from a lot of valuable information, relationships. We miss out on a whole lot. One of the things that I really love about Jesus is he never threw people away. He never fully just wrote somebody off. He, he always engaged with them, connected to them, listened to them. And I wonder what would happen if you did these things. You don't have to, right? You could just stick your fingers in your ears. I wouldn't recommend it. It never turns out well. That's what I'm gonna pray into your life today. That God would give you his grace and his spirit to allow you to move beyond your biases, to listen and to learn and to become wiser in the process. Would you bow your heads across this room as we go to God in prayer? Father, 
I am incredibly grateful for who you are in each of our lives. God, I'm grateful for the life that you've given us, for the relationships and the community that you've placed us in. And God, we have access to so many different voices and experiences. God, may you free us from just being trapped in our own. God, may you enable us to listen and to learn, to not feel or react to the feeling of fear when our beliefs or our thoughts are questioned or challenged, but God, that we would ride out that, that emotion and we would be able to lean in and test everything. Everything that's said to us, everything that's said about us, everything that we say to others, that all of it is testworthy. And God, may your spirit guide us to what is ultimately true so we can make better decisions moving forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message from South Hills Church in Corona, California. We hope that you will continue to connect with us here online. We would love to hear your story, fill your questions, and learn how this ministry has changed your life. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching South Hills Corona.